Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Authentic Podcast with Justin Doulard. And thank you for tuning in to another episode. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. Another genuine conversation with a unique individual. It's time! everybody welcome back uh i got my old professor here who is a criminal defense attorney uh mr ward johnson thank you for coming on absolutely glad to be here ward uh why don't you just go ahead and tell us a little about yourself and explain to somebody who may not know ah well i was born in grand forks primarily grew up in bismarck and then graduated from high school uh bismarck high school and then uh came to und got a bachelor's degree here in English, master's degree in English, juris doctorate in English, just bang through all of them. And then uh, just been practicing law. Uh, at the same time I was doing all that, I was also a member of the Army Guard in North Dakota, which was an excellent decision. That's a great organization. And uh, so pretty much hung around North Dakota, except when the country sent me somewhere worldwide. And so I was I was deployed three times overseas. Um, Desert Storm was my first one, and then two times to Guantanamo Bay. What'd you do in Guantanamo Bay exactly? A number of different things. Uh, started out as a, a board member for the administrative review boards, which uh, at the time uh, during the Bush administration, every um, detainee in Guantanamo Bay was entitled to an annual review of their detention status. And so there was always work being done to make sure there was no misinformation, cross information, wrong guy stuff. You know, the third year that somebody was there, um, we found out that this wasn't the right guy, sent him home, stuff like that. And then uh, combatant status review tribunals for the 14 high-value detainees, which included Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, Ramsey bin Al-Sheib, Abu Zubaydah, the Bali uh, uh, bombers, the USS Cole bombers, East Coast sleeper cell. I was the 06 in charge of the team uh, that put all those guys in Guantanamo Bay. So it was called the Tiger Team. And uh, I provided overhead cover as a senior lawyer, but um, supervised O5s, the lieutenant colonels that were in charge. Like I had one lieutenant colonel that was in charge of the team to put the Khalid Sheikh Mohammed case together. Another O5 in charge of the team that put the Ramsey bin El-Sheib case together and so on. And so when they would come up on a full stop where they were trying to get information from one of the alphabet agencies and couldn't seem to shake loose something I'd get involved with the upper echelons and get them the information they needed so then um, I was the president of combatant status right 
tribunal boards. I was president of administrative review boards or presiding officer, I guess they called those. Um, my final three years, I was the director of the Office of Military Commissions. And my job at the Office of Military Commissions was making sure that the war crimes tribunals down in Guantanamo ran smoothly. So we had a 60-some million dollar annual budget and my responsibility was to make sure that the office of prosecution had office space and the office of defense had office space and had the employees and resources that they needed to do their job i also was responsible for the clerk of courts office and the convening authorities office and getting everybody their resources and putting budgets together and hiring and firing like i'm i'm the guy the senior guy that decides um, within the agency if you fire somebody, that type of stuff. So it was more babysitting. I didn't practice a lot of law that three years. Sure. So, the, But the guys under you, are they representing the prisoners of war there? Is that how that works? Oh, well, the, there, there were um, lawyers there that worked in the office of prosecution that worked for a one-star general, and there were officers that worked for the defense and they worked for, I believe, when I was there, it was an 06, but after I left, they bumped him up to a one bang or two. And um, my job was to resource them and make sure that they had paralegals and associate attorneys and get them their security clearances and um, make sure that everything was provided for them to do their jobs. I know there was a lot of controversy at one point in time with Guantanamo Bay, and I mm-hmm. think you talked about that with a local paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what was that about? I mean, well, Guantanamo Bay came on the heels of the Abu Ghraib scandal, which really was a scandal. There there was malfeasance and misfeasance uh, on the part of senior. United States Army military officers, namely Brigadier General Janice Karpinski, I believe her name was, who was just derelict in her duties. Uh, and and so what happened was that got um, cross-pollinated to Guantanamo Bay for no apparent reason. People forget that, the, that Guantanamo Bay was run by the Defense Department. And the whole time I was there, I never saw any breach of um, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. If I had, I would have blown a whistle, raised a flag, because by training, I was a defense attorney. You know, I, I'm uh, the the Constitution and protecting those that can't protect themselves is near and dear to my heart. Um, so if I had thought that in my operational area that the CIA was doing something they shouldn't have done or the FBI who were both down there uh, or any military member for all that matter uh, it would not have gone on and I I encouraged everyone that worked in my sphere of influence to report anything that they thought didn't seem right Uh, so from my point of view from what I saw and I was at a pretty high level and and I had I, I I saw nothing, and I tried to do my best to be at the wrong place at the right time. If I thought I smelled something, and just never did see anything. And you spent how long there? 
Um, so was it six months at a time, a year at a time? Or? No, uh, they were one-year tours. I lived in Guantanamo Bay for two years. Straight. Um, well, uh, from 2005 to 2006 and 2008 to 2009, one-year tours. What's it like living there? Oh, it was wonderful. Really? Oh, it was awful. Or uh, um, awesome. The the, uh, the the base is run by the Navy. It's beautiful. It's in the Caribbean. Keep that in mind. Um, you know, Jamaica is, what, 100 miles away? Okay. It's on the complete far east coast of uh, the island of Cuba, and it's a tropical paradise. So you had some good times when you were not working, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Uh, did a lot of diving, did a lot of uh, physical training, um, but just it was like 92 every day. Yeah. And and dry. Sure. So the, the guy that you guys had for three years that was the wrong guy, what happens there? You just cut him loose and say, I'm sorry? or Well, he wasn't not a criminal. But he was not the guy you thought he was. He was just a drug dealer and not a war criminal. So we just sent him back to let his country deal with him. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to bounce around quite a yeah, bit. I'm yeah. kind of scatterbrained as it is, and I've got some different topics. But Yeah, go ahead. And I'm notoriously bad for taking notes. But uh, And by the way, keep your mic just a little closer. Sure. Yeah, pretty good. Okay. So, um, the one thing I did write down that I for sure wanted to talk about with you is mm-hmm. at what point – because I was born in 1990, okay. so I'm still fair, a little young. But okay. at what point in our history did private corporations start having the authority and ability to run prisons? And then can you elaborate on that at all, on your thoughts on sure. how that works? Um, prisons, jails is a function primarily of the government but the government can privately contract out pretty much any of their ministerial duties and they do it as a matter of course and have done that ever since I can remember and as far as I know um, the taxpayers are the ones that benefit that because if if a private company can provide a service which they normally do governments are notoriously uh very poor at being um stewards of tax dollars so whenever you privatize something you usually get more bang for the buck and i'm a proponent of that as long as they have proper oversight so do you think the private corporations running prison is a good thing or yeah no it's a good thing as long as they're as long as they are properly uh overseen do you do you think they're being properly overseen now, or is that an issue? It just seems a little weird mm-hmm. that I could get on my phone on my Robinhood app and buy stock in a company that has control over prison because mm-hmm. I think it correlates to back when you mentioned in class mm-hmm. uh, business law yeah. about the war on drugs and how it's kind of oh, been yeah. faulty. Yeah. So would would those two not kind of correlate? Um. Well, the you know the the war on drugs i think i might have said in class in my opinion has been an abject failure um that started in the 70s or is that right uh what would it have been the crime control act that uh made pot illegal i think was the start of it um you know prior to that we hardly had any uh controlled substances 
and and look what it's done to our society um just based on what's your drug of choice so if if your drug of choice was alcohol man you're golden in the united states yeah absolutely that but uh you know so people don't like to hear this but this is the truth you grow sugar beets in the state of north dakota and they turn that into sugar sugar is used in the distilled spirits industry okay now jump to afghanistan or colombia well what do their farmers grow colombia it's coca leaves in afghanistan it's poppy flowers okay or or mexico marijuana i've never done a murder case in my 33 years as an attorney where alcohol wasn't a major contributing factor i've never done a murder case where somebody was hopped up on marijuana or uh, no there there are drug deals that have gone bad but primarily murder cases are when someone has completely taken leave of their sentence senses and gone berserk and you see that a lot with alcohol you don't see it so much with pot yeah i know you mentioned that too with uh, a mm-hmm. lot of domestic disputes as well mm-hmm. it's, it's usually always alcohol involved mm-hmm. yeah or nine times out of ten and right? that probably separates me from uh the republican party for the most part <laughs> because they're they're very very prohibitionistic in in their approach to uh, controlled substances and i think it's just a huge waste of yeah. human life do you think we'll have you think marijuana will be legal on a, a national level in the next 10 20 years or do you think that's gonna we're still pretty far away from um i hope it is uh, and and i am not a pot smoker i've never been a pot smoker but i think if somebody wants to smoke pot they should be able to smoke pot same as you would go to a bar yeah drink yeah like that, so. well uh, you look at other examples of societies, the way they handle uh, controlled substances. Um, uh, Scandinavia comes to mind. You want to be a heroin addict, go get a license. They're going to regulate you. I did not know that. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to jump to something next. I couldn't remember what exactly I was thinking about. Uh, I had some friends with some questions, so I'll mm-hmm. kind of look at those while we, while sure. we bounce off yeah, that. Absolutely. Um, one of my friends said, ask questions of anything Epstein related. So I, I haven't followed it as much as I should, mm-hmm. but what are your thoughts on that case in a short window grasped? Um, Cause you could talk about it for hours probably, but I, I guess I could bring it all down to Jeffrey Epstein didn't commit suicide. You don't think he, did? I absolutely do not. Okay. I, so I, what I happened? Do not. He was murdered. He was murdered uh, by people that paid for that in the prison or he, Pick your whatever you want. If if it was a suicide, you wouldn't have had the security cam failures and the missing footage. That only happens when there's a conspiracy because Jeffrey Epstein didn't have control of that, and we would have known. We would have been able to see who went in, who came out, who saw him, who didn't see him. Why is that gone? That's pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. I, I've watched a little bit about it. I just, for some reason, I haven't followed it as much as I normally would other right. conspiracy theories and whatnot, mm-hmm. but I do know that's the, the popular opinion is he didn't kill himself. Yeah, and so. then and then I think there's that Baden, Dr. Baden. Um, I've read some things that he said about the hyoid bone, that when you see the hyoid bone the way he described it, that's a murder. So I'm not a forensic pathologist, but 
I tend to listen to those who are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know we talked about it briefly in class mm-hmm. and then uh, on our own time too, but mm-hmm. I know you followed the Aaron Hernandez case a little bit. The football player from the Patriots. Okay. Do you think he killed himself? Re- refresh my recollection. I'm So Aaron Hernandez uh, got charged with double murder when he was playing for the Patriots, and then he got found innocent of one of those, and then he was also involved in another murder in Boston that he got recharged for. Okay. And there was some controversy that uh, he – well, he died in his cell. He was hung in his cell, supposedly, and mm-hmm. there was controversy that if he killed himself, his – wife and daughter would get his estate mm-hmm. and the money he was owed by the NFL. Mm-hmm. So the night before he was found dead, um, his wife had talked to him and said there was, you know, no indicators that he was suicidal, said he loved you, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And then they found it the next day hung supposedly. I, you know, you know, I just didn't follow that one. I, now that you say that I remember the story and I remember the controversy um, this guy was the same guy that represented Casey Anthony. His attorney was Jose, oh, right. Jose Baez. Okay. So, and, and I believe there's, there's uh, a lot of insurance money at, at stake because if he's murdered, obviously there's probably a double indemnity clause or something in yes. the insurance policy. If it's uh, suicide, sometimes there's an outright exclusion. So yeah. Cause he was busted for all of this, mm-hmm. these mishaps in the middle of his, uh, NFL career. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, I OJ remember Simpson, it. Yeah. So. But I remember that that was tragic. I mean, tragic whenever anything like that happens. I don't know enough about that one. Okay. Um, uh, I, I, the only reason that Jeffrey Epstein is, I think so interesting to the public is it is another situation where the Clintons are involved. Okay, yeah, that's another good one. And and uh, <laughs> I believe that the the flight records that are going that have just been subpoenaed are going to verify what's been leaking out little by little that Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton were uh, frequent visitors of uh, what did they what do they call it pedophile island or yeah. something like that. Yeah, that's a new one. The past oh, couple weeks. Yeah, along with a ton of other politicians on both sides of the aisle. What do you so, think about that? Disgusting. I mean, do you think that that's true? The pedophile island thing is like, does that have some weight to it or is that? Because um, so Epstein was a pedophile, correct? I I have heard that he was a sexual predator. Now, remember, pedophile means that you um, are sexually aroused by prepubescent children. I have seen no evidence of that. I have seen that. Um, girls that were under the age of legal consent were brought there to his place, his home or the, to a number of different places in America, in other countries. And then this Island. Gotcha. So, and then the, the thing that we were talking about before that you go into is, so I guess, is it that the Clintons, whenever you rat out a Clinton or something, you end up dead. A week they, later, they ju- yeah. Well, well, is? uh, there's more than just a conspiracy there. If you're okay. a friend of the Clintons, you have a high chance of dying mysteriously. Okay. So who you know, I've seen that, like I said, I've Vince, seen that a little Vince bit. Vince Foster. Okay. I mean, completely inexplicable quote unquote suicide. Um, read about Vince Foster's death. It, it's enough to Vince curl. Foster. Yeah. He was the, uh, uh, personal attorney of Hillary Clinton for the whitewater. I mean, this is probably before your time, yes. but, uh, uh, read up about the suicide of Vince Foster or the McDougals. It's it's uh, 
kind of scary, actually. Yeah. So mm-hmm. these people are dying whenever they turn against them or just after? They... Um, I don't think they get a chance to. That's the whole idea. So before it could get ugly, they they're they're gone. So what's a what's a crazy theory of yours? You think that they, they hire people to kill them? Is that what you think? Yeah, I don't think they do it themselves. No, but they're paying someone to, to yeah. put them away. Yeah, that's I insane. Think, yeah, it is. And and I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but there's just too many unanswered questions. When I heard Jeffrey Epstein, quote unquote, committed suicide, I just about busted out laughing because it was. Okay, that's completely consistent. We uh, kind of trace back. That's interesting, by the way. I wasn't wasn't dodging that, but mm-hmm. trace back to um, we talked about Aaron Hernandez, and mm-hmm. you know how Jose Baez uh, was his attorney, who also represented Casey Anthony. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask two questions. One, how does a guy build a? How does he, someone get high profile like that? Uh, where you know, he represents one person and it goes crazy and then he starts getting celebrities or, or he's so successful at getting murderers off and then two mm-hmm. or finding murders not guilty. And then two, how do they decide what cases are televised so largely? So obviously like OJ Simpson, Aaron okay. Hernandez, that's different. They're yeah. football players. But who was Casey Anthony and why was her stuff on TV? Well, I believe Casey Anthony killed her child. Yes. Okay. Um, they found her in a swamp like three yeah. miles from her house. Yeah. So – the policy that is going to dictate whether or not a trial is televised is going to be the local court rules of that jurisdiction. So that's different everywhere. That was in Florida. so Right. So in Florida, you must be able to do that. Here, they don't do that. Um, then what was your other question? Uh, what was my other question? I guess. Uh, oh, how do you get to be a high-profile criminal defense attorney? Yeah, that was probably you his knock wake a, and break. So. Yeah, you f- knock a few out of the park and uh, have somebody uh, hire somebody for PR to uh, publicize that. It, it's not hard. And and keep in keep this in mind. I have a lot of very dear friends who I respect that are prosecutors. Uh, it's hard to convict somebody in a criminal case because all of the buys go to the defendant. Our whole criminal justice system is based on letting a thousand guilty men go free, you know, before you convict even one uh, innocent person. And even though we have all of these built in biases, you know, proof beyond a reasonable doubt, it's not that hard as a criminal defense attorney to create doubt in a prosecutor's case. So um, I, I think that the the lawyering and trial skills of defense attorneys get way, way overblown. I have a lot more respect for prosecutors that beat them because, man, they earn their money. They do. It's a lot harder to win a case as a prosecutor than a defense attorney. These are only things I see on documentaries, mm-hmm. which can be, you sure. know, persuade you one way yeah. or read online. But with that case or with that, that statement mm-hmm. that says we have, I think something ridiculous, like 25% of the world's prisoners and we're only 5% of the world's population in America. Is that, is that true? Uh, yeah. I've heard statistics like that, but you know what? That just means that we take law and order and the rule of law much more seriously than the rest of the country. And so that, that is a fact. You don't think that's like a flawed statistic? 
Um, well, that's alarming per se. It, well, would you rather kill them? I mean, that's what they do in Saudi Arabia. When, when I was um, stationed there for Desert Storm, I spent I was a, a logistics officer, so I spent a lot of time in the port of Dammam and Dahran and things like that. Uh, the Kobar Towers, one of them was blown up by terrorists. Uh, we had a, a place there that we operated out of. But uh, about a block away from there, there was this little building, what would I say, maybe about the size of the hub bar. I mean, that's not a big bar. Okay. Every Friday it was emptied, and they cut off hands, and they poked out eyes, and they beheaded people, and they emptied it out until the next week. Okay. Why? Because that's how they mete out punishment under Sharia. This was These were any crimes? Yeah. Theft usually results in some body part being amputated. And uh, your more serious crimes, adultery, you're killed. And they do it every Friday. What about it like a more, a more civilized nation that, you know, somewhere in the UK or whatnot? Are there prison systems pretty comparable to us? Or are we... You know, I don't know enough about other countries prison systems to render that's the only i i became a student of sharia when i was because you were uh, working it, so. i was yeah I, w- I wanted to know what makes these islama fascists tick so i read the quran in english so you know your your uh, islama fascist is going to say no you didn't read the quran because you can't read arabic okay i don't read arabic i read a translated version of the Quran um, because I wanted to find out why do these people act like that. But um, then you have the, you have the Quran and then you have several other, other lesser books. Um, I think one's called the Hadith and they tell you how you handle society. You think there's a direct correlation in the way things were ran and reading in the Quran? Is that what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. Interesting. And, yeah. And and so um, you have Islamic law being carried out by Islamic fascists, and they like to kill people and cut body parts off. I would rather put someone in a cage. Yeah. I mean, that's a valid point. So. Yeah. Um, we'll go go to another question real quick. Um, these are some of these are going to be pretty generic, so mm-hmm. I'm sure you've asked them thousands of times. But uh, what would you say is the hardest part of your job being a criminal defense attorney? Excuse me, a criminal defense attorney. And then, are there cases where you ever feel like there is no true justice? Um, the hardest part. It's it's really sad when someone re, when an innocent person gets charged because it destroys their life. It's something that you never recover from. Um, You're always going to have that mark on you, um, especially in the the days of um, digital storage. You know, you're never going to get it off your criminal record, even if it, because it's going to show you were charged with this and then the case was dismissed. And so even if you were innocent, you still have that guilty oh, trail behind yeah, you. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to follow you around your whole life. That's that's very tragic. Um, and, and the worst cases that I've ever seen, and, and I've had more than I care to ever have, I'd be happy to never get another one, where a minor child makes a spurious allegation against a parent um, for vindictive purposes. 
and and that parent never recovers. That happens quite a bit. Yes, unfortunately, it does. Okay, that was good. Um, had had another person ask, uh, which we were talking about mar- marijuana, so mm-hmm. this is good. Okay. Uh, how does it work if you have a concealed handgun carrier defending himself, but also happens to have a medical marijuana card? He's golden. He's long, fine. Oh yeah. As long as you got your card, you get you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's every state, or it depends. No, that's it's different in every well, state. That was a dumb question. Yeah. Yeah, so. in North Dakota, you're we don't have concealed carry permits. You can concealed carry in North Dakota, which is a beautiful thing. Um, I, I think that the Second Amendment gets stomped on way, way too much in America, and uh, we need to protect that because the second, and, and I got to step back because the first time that somebody told me that the Second Amendment was to protect us from the government, my jaw hit the ground. And I'm thinking, what? Why would the government ever come? Because I was a young youngster, you know, and I'm thinking that that the government is there to protect us and it's a good thing and we should support the government. But no, sometimes governments lose their way and they oppress their people. And the second amendment is to keep the people prickly and make them hard to oppress and take over. And uh, we're, we're headed for, a showdown. I, I hope it doesn't come to another civil war, but uh, the have-nots are trying to take away something that they haven't earned from the haves, and I wouldn't want to be one of the have-nots because they're not going to win this. It's not even going to be a fair fight. Yeah, it's scary to think about. Yeah, it is. Uh, Let's see. And I was I was gonna ask about that too because I have I mm-hmm. see a lot of people talking about the government oppressing us and, and mm-hmm. kind of moving in without us knowing, and it's this huge debate on does the mask work, does the mask not? Can they make us wear it? That drives me crazy because that's all people talk about right now. But yeah. Do you think that that is a form of uh, the government oppressing us by yes. making us wear? You do. Yeah, I do. Why yeah. is that? Uh, because wearing a mask to prevent yourself from getting COVID is like putting up a chain link fence around your backyard to keep out mosquitoes. Okay. And that's a fact. See, I never, I never know what to believe because I have, you know, I have family and friends who are medical professionals that mm-hmm. say it works and then I have friends that say there's no way it works. I, I okay. never know what to believe anymore. Okay. So I do have a little specialized knowledge in this area. Um, um, in addition to being a lawyer, uh, I was a medical service corps officer okay. in the army my entire 34 years. Okay. Um, so we have a place called, uh, USAMRID, United States, um, army. What, what is it all? It's been so long since I've been down there. Yeah. Another crazy. Uh, infe- well, the infectious disease Institute, that's okay. what it is. Then it's run by the army. And where was that at? Um, is it in Maryland? I believe. Okay. Okay. Um, so if you look at the size of, what this coronavirus is and ask yourself if you blew through one of these cloth masks that you see all these idiots wearing when they're driving in a car by themselves it's not going to stop coronavirus from coming through the mask that is anybody that tells you that is lying right to your face 
That's just false. Um, if you want to protect yourself from coronavirus, go see what the research scientists wear in a level four um, containment area. So probably that's like what you need. A full suit with gloves and absolutely like a bio suit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, is that what we're going to do? No. You know, the other thing is, is that, um, if you are a, a healthy person with no pre-existing medical conditions, you have almost a t statistically 0% chance of dying from this. I'm not saying you're not going to get it, but, but statistically almost zero. Do you think our government enforcing masks is a form of oppression or do you think it's because they're uneducated and scared? I think they're ignorant. They're ignorant. Cause I see a lot of people saying it's just a mask. They're going to make us wear a mask and the next it's going to be just this. And I didn't know if you thought it was cause it's something new and we're uneducated or if you truly think that it's a move towards more, more government I, control. I No, I don't think that, it, that there's a, you know, man behind the curtain gotcha. type thing. I, I think that it's just basic ignorance. I, uh, I, I think that you can explain a whole lot of nonsense from stupidity versus evil in the world. There's just a lot of dumb asses out there sure. and they're in positions of authority. We talked a little bit about this before we started, mm -hmm. uh, the show, but you got a client who's guilty with a major crime mm -hmm. and you know, or believe he is guilty. Mm -hmm. What do you do? I know you mentioned you can pass it off or do you, what are you well, doing for that if, guy? If, if somebody wants to hire me for a case and I'm just uncomfortable with it, I'll decline representation on it. That, and then that, and then it goes down the ladder to public yeah. defense. Well, uh, well, if somebody walks in my door and they want to retain me for a case that I don't want, I don't care where they go. You just say no and they're out. They're out, yeah. What about the guy who does get them? He gets bumped down. What are most, I mean, cause surely you had some of these cases as when you were younger, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose the, the first, um, child porn case that I got, which turned my stomach, that was, I was appointed in federal court by the federal judge. I didn't want that case. And I called him and, uh, he said, ward, somebody's got to do these cases. I need you to do this, you know, asking for you to, yeah, yeah, down to take yeah. It. this is the, that, that was uh, Judge Rodney Webb, uh, who was one of the finest lawyers, I think, that ever came out of the University of North Dakota School of Law. <laughs> um, so I took it, and it still haunts me to this day. I mean, that's just something that is completely and utterly disgusting. Um, and if I can, if I have anything to say, I will not take another child porn case. They're, they're just too hard on a person. I mean, they steal part of your soul. Sure. Um, so that was your one and done with that. You never had any more. Um, I had a couple others that came up in the midst of represent representing a primary charge. And then as the investigation went on, some child porn was found. You're just kind of screwed there because you're already on the hook for the other stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, that you as a defense attorney, make a decision along with your client early on in any criminal representation. Um, are you wanting me to represent you because you're innocent and you didn't do this? 
or are you wanting me to represent you because you did do this and you want to make sure that you get the least amount of jail time, the smallest fine that there is possible in the situation by far over 90% of the criminal representation that I do. What you're doing is you have an agreement with the client early on that, yeah, we're going to do discovery. We're going to, you know, file all the motions to suppress and all that, because what you're going to try to do in the meantime is negotiate a plea agreement for a, a either a lesser charge or a more desirable sentence. I think someone uh, that led into a good question that mm-hmm. someone asked is it. Is it more important or is it easier to, to get someone not guilty or take a, a plea deal and, and move on if, if it's going to drag out? Well, an, a not guilty means you've went through a complete jury trial. So that's a lot of work and it's very expensive. And so uh, that's one of the things that, that I discuss with a potential criminal client is, look, if you're hiring me uh, to do a defense on a double A, that's going to cost you maybe a hundred thousand dollars. Really? Oh yeah. Do you think, do you think that's why a lot of people are, I don't know, put away prematurely or take plea deals because they don't have the, the, the money to afford service? Um, I imagine that that happens. It's not ever happened in my experience. Cause wh- wh- how much is the average attorney? I mean, for a criminal defense attorney, is it well, off the wall vary by? Yeah, it varies because, you know, we don't belong to a union or anything. And your younger attorneys that are hungrier are going to do it for less. And your more experienced ones that have, you know, half a dozen murder trials and, you know, 20 or 30 serious felony trials. You know, you win a few big cases in state court, federal court. Um, you're going to be in demand. And uh, if you're a younger attorney right out of law school, you're going to try to undercut the old dogs and try to steal some of that business away from them. And that's just going to be the yin and yang as you mature as a, an attorney. Yeah. This is a question that could probably, you probably need a lot more research on mm-hmm. and, and talk about off record. But so if you, if you have any advice on mm-hmm. it or any intake, let me know if not. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, so someone confesses blatantly after immediately after happening for first degree murder, mm-hmm. then they post bail. Mm-hmm. Is that common to have bail for first degree murder? I've never seen that. Uh, or it might, excuse me, it might have been second degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a a distant cousin of mine, my mom's cousin, who was murdered by a woman, mm-hmm. and she admitted it to the police when they got there. They were, you know, I think there had been some alcohol involved, mm-hmm. and she was at their house, and she admitted to shooting him for no reason, and she looked pretty strung out. Mm-hmm. Her her pictures and whatnot, but. She was free, I want to say, the next morning. Okay. How does that work? Well... Is that common? Well... I'd have to I'd have to pull up how much her bail and stuff was, but it, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, not knowing the actual specifics, because a bail hearing is a very involved um, part of the procedural and substantive due process that a criminal um, client is entitled to. And one of the things that you have to do is find out the background and as much about the situation. If it's a domestic, most domestic murders 
you know, somebody that you know, that's the only murder you're ever going to commit in your life. It's not like you're um, a, a hitman or you're an enforcer for a cartel and your job is to whack people. Um, and especially if it wasn't um, premeditated murder where you planned this out. I miss, so I misquoted it okay. quite a bit, which right. is unlike, or just like me, but <laughs> it was as, it was a hundred thousand dollar bond after, okay. after she admitted to shooting him. That's and pretty high. That is high. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it is. Okay. Sure. My, my family was pretty shocked by it and she's mm-hmm. still free. She's going through, it's, it's made so many courts and I think she is, uh, due September and the final court that she can get through. I think it got mm-hmm. pretty high. Um, okay. Remember one of the, one of the functions of granting or of setting bail is to ensure that they attend all of the subsequent hearings and trial processes. That's what you're supposed to do. If this person is not a flight risk and there's not a high likelihood that they're going to commit a crime again, most judges are going to let them out as long as they have that financial um, hold on them. You know, $100,000 is a lot of money. Most people aren't going to want to give that up. And, And so she would not be considered high risk even though well, she has she committed murders prior. I mean, if she has a prior history, that's going to be taken into account by the judge. Um, if she's been law abiding up till that point, they're probably going to be given reasonable bail. Yeah. I, I don't know a whole lot about her than that. I, mm-hmm. I haven't lived close to them in a while. And yeah. Um... I mean, if I was a judge and I, and I thought setting a reasonable bail, you know, one, two, 300,000, because they usually have to come up with 10% is going to ensure that they're going to be there. I'm going to give them bail because they're not convicted. They're supposed to be treated as though they are innocent at that time because they have not been proven guilty yet. The reason that you would, um, what if she admitted the guilt at the scene? Yeah. That, that's still, it, but still it, not guilty. Admitting that you did it doesn't mean that you're a premeditated murderer. She might have admitted to, um, something that she claimed was a defensive justifiable homicide. Okay. I see it from that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you're defending yourself, you can kill somebody. Yeah. I, none of us were there, so mm-hmm. I have no yeah. idea. And there's a, you know, a lot of questions as to why she was even there too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I so, it, it from a, that a, you know, from, so. from what the prosecution says and what the defense attorney says, that judge might've said, look, justifiable homicide, uh, High likelihood here. I'm going to grant bail. I think she's been biding her time well, mm-hmm. um, getting off and, and doing a lot of mistrials. But I think in mm-hmm. September, you know, it'll probably turn out the way that the, my family's been looking at mm-hmm. So Okay. So what what are some, you talked about it in class a little bit, I guess some common pointers and tips for someone who's been accused of a crime or, or you know, arrested. Well, the first thing you do is you don't say anything. Don't say a word. No, don't say anything other than, I want a lawyer. That's it. Um, you're always going to be tried. They're going to try to encourage you to quote unquote cooperate. Which means what? Well, from their point of view, it means incriminate yourself. Start talking. Yeah. They want you to talk. And uh, as a criminal defense attorney, that's the last thing that you want to do. They're smart. Detectives are trained to try to get incriminating statements out of you. And, most defendants are too smart by half and they say something sometime when they 
think that they're not doing any harm that there is going to come back and they're going to use it against them. So just don't say anything. Tell okay. them you want a lawyer. That's it. Rule number one, don't talk. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. What else? That's it. That's it. That's the second rule and third rule and fourth rule. That's all you got. Just ask for your lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very simple thing. What about... Uh, when they say you have the right to remain silent, you should listen to them. <laughs> That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about whenever... Uh, the, you talked about the polygraph in class mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, the po- the polygraph... It's bogus? Yeah. It's... it's if, it, if it was actually science and it worked, you'd be able to use them... You use it as evidence in a courtroom. You can't. How do you, as a, I don't know, maybe a potential criminal or anybody that's on a polygraph, they say you fail it as, you know, before I, before you had told me that if someone said you'd fail the polygraph, I'd feel helpless. I didn't know what to do. You mm-hmm. were like, no, it's bogus. So you're like, Justin, you failed the polygraph. You know, you're not hired for this job or, or you're going to jail. What do you, what do you say? Well, when, when you say you failed a polygraph, first of all, I'd want to know who the polygraph operator is. What are their biases? How was the set? You know, how did the session go? What were the questions answered? Um, most people that are caught off guard and are um, kind of fidgety are going to fail polygraphs. They're are if, already oh, on edge when you go. Oh, in, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're a nervous Nelly, you're going to fail a polygraph. That's just the way it is. And so why do we have them? Yeah. Why are they, why are they still relevant? Because, because luckily for law enforcement, nobody knows that. And so law enforcement uses polygraphs to find out, okay, who's willing to take a polygraph? That, in my opinion, if you're willing to take a polygraph, that says a lot. You can decline it? Well, yeah. But but if, if somebody comes in and says, you know what? I'll take a polygraph. They don't know that polygraphs are just witch doctory. They think that it's a lie detector test. Well, they're not. Is there a difference in the two? No, that's just the vernacular name. A polygraph is yeah, called a, a lie, lie detector. detector yeah. No, polygraphs are not lie detectors. All they do. That's what they were known to it, be. Yeah. What, what a polygraph does is it, it checks blood pressure. It checks pulse. It check somebody some have galvanometers that check whether you're perspiring number uh you know they, what they're looking for are um like abnormal movements and ab- just systemic responses to questions well some people have those systemic responses and they're completely innocent and sociopaths don't have them because they don't have a conscience really yeah interesting and you, you talked a little bit about drug sniffing dogs too. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate more on, cause I don't want to misquote you before we mm-hmm. dive into it. So, Oh, um, we used drug sniffing dogs that weren't really drug sniffing dogs when we ran, uh, aerial ports of embarkation and debarkation, because what you want is people to use the amnesty boxes, you know, and if they see that there's dogs there, they're just going to give it up. They're going to give it up because they can go behind a screen, throw the junk in there, and then they're clean. You were looking for drugs or weapons or all everything? the time, all the time. Yeah. So is that pretty common in civilian side? And I don't know. That's just that was my experience because an actual trained drug dog is hard to come by. Really? They're, oh yeah. They're. They, they, it takes time. They. 
um, are not, you know, a police dog in and of itself isn't going to be a drug dog. Do you think that those are used um, on the streets inappropriately or illegally? Uh, like what, to attack people? No, no, no. Oh. You, you say sometimes they're not real drug-sniffing dogs. Do you think people, Oh, s- we're going to search your car with a dog? Oh, okay. Well, if if I have a client call and say that a dog uh, alerted, I'm going to want to see that that dog is really a certified dog. And you do that? Oh, yeah. And, then it- and I, I have had occasion where... That was, um, you know, Roxy, the German Shepherd that was just the family pet. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what happens then? You're just, the case is gone? Yeah. Yeah. It's excluded. You can't do that. They have to be real drug-sniffing dogs. But that do, that does happen more, yes. more often than you think? Um. Well, it's twice I've seen that. What about the guys in Minneapolis with mm-hmm. the George Floyd stuff. What do you think is going to happen to them? Who? The cops. Or, well, you know, there's one guy who was... Yeah, who I don't killed. I don't know because I haven't seen the whole video. The yep. whole, All I've seen is where George Floyd is standing up and there's police around him and then I've never seen how he gets from standing up to the guy with his knee on his neck now do i think the cop should have had his knee on his neck absolutely not absolutely the wrong thing to do yeah i i don't think anyone's seen that you know you said he goes from point a to point b yeah i don't know if there's any tape of course there's all kinds of other tape before Mm -hmm. and after but then that is gone i'm i'm interested in what happened in between those two times and what did george floyd do did he do something that would justify using an extreme and prejudicial uh, force, who knows? I I don't know yet. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, too, that they uh, had allegedly worked together part-time. Yeah, they knew each other. Yeah, Yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, You know, as as the case goes on and stuff, you find stuff forever, but... Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know if you had any thoughts on what was going to happen to that guy or the or the team that was with him. I just don't know enough about the granularity of the facts to yeah. to say. Um, let's see. I'm going to pull up some more questions. How do you deal with victims' rights such as Marcy's Law? Um, with regard to... It just says, deal with victims' rights such as Marcy's Law in their cases. And I'm not sure I even know what Marcy's Law is. Well, that's supposed to protect um, victims from intrusion from their uh, attackers or, you know, the criminal that that it is being charged for victimizing the um, witness. Because, of course, if somebody is a victim, they're not the one charging them. It's the state. Um, gotcha. I, I fully support that. I've never, I've never had a case where Marcy's law got in the way of me defending my client. So I don't see a problem with Marcy's law at all. Gotcha. Yeah. Before you said that, I, did, I don't think I knew what Marcy's law was. Mm-hmm. Are there any high profile cases that, that you watched growing up that you think that the decision was incorrect, that were, were not so blatant? Like, I, you know, I've read into the OJ Simpson books and watched all those. I, 
clearly think he's guilty. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not an attorney. Okay, but. I lived through the O.J. Simpson. I watched it on TV every day. Yeah. Um, obviously, I was very interested in what was going on, and I was completely and thoroughly disgusted with law enforcement's behavior. And O.J. Simpson got away with murder because the investigators cheated and they got caught. And that's, in my opinion, what happened. I think Mark Furman should have been charged with um, tampering with evidence. Um, I thought the judge in the case was a complete idiot. Allowed shenanigans and nonsense in a court like I've never seen ever since that. I, I've, I've been in courtrooms for 33 years and I have never seen attorneys behave like that. I thought Marsha Clark was a complete moron. Do you think a lot of this has a correlation to the fact that it is streamed on TV or do you think it's no. just idiots got a hold of it? Yeah, it, it, it was, it was probably, um, it was probably funny to the defense team really because the defense team were seasoned professional lawyers and the prosecutors in this case were just idiots. And I, and I don't know what they're doing now. Um, but that was not a good showing for how to prosecute a case. And, and just the inconsistencies in the investigation and how, you know, they took OJ Simpson's blood so that they could have an exemplar of it to compare it to what was found here, there and everywhere. And there was blood missing out of his vial that couldn't be accounted for. And then after the crime scene investigators, after the criminal and criminologists left, they came back and found more blood. Okay. Somebody's doing something that they shouldn't be doing. And it just disgusted me because I want to put criminals behind bars just as much as the next, but you can't cheat. And you can't break the law. You got to do it by the rules. That's our system. And if you're not willing to comply with that, then you shouldn't be in law enforcement because there are going to be guilty people that get away with murder. Yeah. Learn to live with it. Did you follow the Casey Anthony stuff much? Um, that case just weirded me out. I, I don't, I, that, no, I didn't. I, I mean, I, I watched it um come on news and you know got disgusted but no I didn't follow it the forensics of it like I did OJ and and you're saying whenever things are streamed on TV it's a state by state thing and and people mm-hmm. just like request it because it's so so um, high scale I or? I've actually had cases where the media made motions and they were denied you know they wanted to have cameras in the courtroom and no they were they were told no yeah like I know with the the Aaron Hernandez one I followed pretty heavily because I'm a big football football fan. And then, of course, I read his books. I I read one from, uh, gosh, I want to say it was John Grisham, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who mainly does fiction. But then I also read it from Jose Baez's view uh, just to kind of see where it says. And, and naturally, he, he claims that he was innocent. But mm-hmm. uh, just was always curious why some make it to TV and why they don't, aside from being celebrities, because OJ and Aaron were celebrity football players. Mm-hmm. Casey Anthony, I don't think anyone ever heard of her until no. this happened. So, and I don't know that there's been another high-profile one on TV like that since. Right. Yeah, I I personally don't think that they should be televised because I think 
it encourages antics that are contrary to good order and discipline and the justice system that go on. You yeah, know? it seems like as soon as a uh, high-profile case is on TV, like everything in America, people just start splitting. And well, they showboat. Yeah. They showboat. And I, I guess I, I was taught by my mentor, Kevin Spath, that you don't talk to the media no matter how much you want to. Just walk by and say no comment and tell your client to say no comment and just leave, leave it at that. You don't try your case in the media. That's just the wrong thing to do. Have you worked on, I'm sure you have on some pretty high profile cases yourself that that probably would have been made, made good news or. Yeah, absolutely. Could you, could you give us an example or two of that? Or is that proprietary? Um, well, like you want the case name or. Uh, I guess maybe just for people who might listen, just, uh, you know, a, a big case that you got or something that was pretty devastating. Um, well, I did a murder case back in the 90s where I won't say the name, but uh, my client was accused of shooting his best friend in the head with a 22. And um, he absolutely didn't do it. And in the course of the trial an investigation i hired private investigator ross rolshoven he owns great plains claims he's an awesome investigator um ross's investigation was able to affirmatively show who actually the murder was so you know the the state's attorney unfortunately or the bci whoever was in charge that's bureau of criminal investigation um made a decision as to who did it and then tried to find evidence that supported their theory when it was pretty obvious that this other guy had done it. And the jury deliberated for, I don't know, an hour. Uh, it was a two week trial, you know, not guilty. Sounds pretty easy on your part. Sounds well, like you did your job, so. um, well, not easy, but uh, I mean, Sounds whenever, like smooth. whenever you go up against the state or the federal government, you've got your work cut out for you because you have the power of basically an unlimited budget when you're like going up against the DEA and the FBI, um, ATF, they have millions. A lot of resources and money. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I'm pretty good as far okay. as that, unless you have anything else you no, can add. Or... No, no, a lot of fun. Thanks for yeah, having me. I appreciate you coming on and hopefully okay. the people enjoy the, the pointers you gave and whatnot. So perfect. Thanks man. Yeah. Have a good one.